Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. Okay, before we get into today's episode, I want to get some feedback from you, the listener. We're looking at ways that we can take the podcast in new directions, new guests that we want to have on the show, new ideas we want to share with you. So we have a lot of threads going for this at Expat Money Forum, our private Facebook group. If you go to expatmoneyforum.com, you can join the conversation. I want to hear feedback from you guys. What topics have we not covered that you want to hear more of? Do you want to hear more stories from successful expats who have moved offshore? Do you want to hear more business-related stuff, more finance-related stuff? Are you more interested in immigration and visas and passports? Is it the investments or real estate? I want to know what you are interested in. This show is not about me. It is about you guys. It is about all of my amazing listeners and trying to help inspire you and get you the best up-to-date knowledge every single Wednesday when I publish this show. So join the conversation at Expat Money Forum. Let me know what you think, what you want to hear more about, how I can best serve you. It's really important to me to make this show the absolute best in our space. And I think we're off to a really good start. Podcast has been going for over four years now, which is just hard to believe. It seems like just yesterday I started it, and the feedback has been amazing. But there's always room to improve. There's always things we can do better. So share your knowledge, share your expertise, share what you want to hear, share your wants, your desires, your needs, your goals, everything with us at Expat Money Forum. I really appreciate it, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is the Director of Capital Markets at Investment Bank Intersection Capital, where he manages its capital-raising platform. Since 2005, he has grown the firm's history to approximately $2 billion in aggregate trade volume. Applying his pioneering approaches to raising capital and incorporating neuroscience into the capital markets programs. He has supervised the placement of over 500 million of investor capital from high net worth individuals and financial institutions. And he is the number one best-selling author of Pitch Anything, an innovative method to presenting, persuading, and winning the deal. Please welcome to the show, Oren Klaff. Oren, how are you doing? I am doing well. That was a very nice introduction. I actually should make sure we did all that stuff. (laughs) Uh, I hope you did because uh, my team, they wrote this for me and it looks pretty impressive, I have to say. It is. I thought you were just making it up. But no, that sounds terrific. That's where, you know, when it comes to raising capital and putting deals in the market, 
there's a lot of deals. We, I mean, we're helping a deal go public right now. We're acquiring a large firm that's actually an international firm. So moving money between the U.S. and Australia and the Middle East and Europe and Switzerland, you know, that adds a layer of complexity and difficulty that, you know, is, is different from, you know, raising money in Chicago from Kansas. So absolutely. Well, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show. So I've read your book. I've gone through some of your courses. I, I purchased Pitch Anything Edge. I thought it was really interesting. And I've read your emails, and, and I want to talk about some of your adventures around the world. But before we begin all of that, I really want to understand, like, how did you get into working in this field and develop these techniques? So I think these techniques are always developed the same way. Pain, misery, frustration, confusion alcohol consumption, <laughs> moving to the desert, living in a trailer with a three-legged dog and saying, where did I go wrong? No, um, but, but I think that is the case. So the way I got into this, I had a partner, a uh, financial partner who was very aggressive. And what he would do is he would lock up an asset, call it a, uh, a retail complex or a company. And he'd use two or $3 million of our money to lock it up, in essence, to commit us to the deal. And then he would say, Oren, you have 35 days, Mission Impossible, whatever the music is. You have 35 days to go find us $6.5 million, $8 million. You know, the numbers kept getting bigger, $12 million, $15 million. You know, so the days started getting shorter. You have 28 days to go find us $15.5 million. And so these missions started becoming impossible with the current state of the art for how people thought you would you should sell for how people thought you should raise money for how people thought you should meet build relationships do business development i was just forced to say there has to be a different way so i brought together a couple you know different disciplines and i you know i thought of trying everything from anything that worked traditional sales of course we tried that model first and that was just too slow too frustrating not enough conversion you know would hypnosis do anything and by the way the answer is no Thanks you know, for clearing that up. <laughs> yeah. Is there, an, is there such a thing as NLP? Uh, so people go, oh, I'm an NLP practitioner. Really? Where? What, what institution? Because no accredited institution, at least in the U.S., teaches NLP. They teach EMDR. They te teach hypnosis. They teach light therapy. You know, they don't teach NLP. NLP isn't a thing to so cross that off the list. And so eventually, you know, trying to put a patchwork of tools together that could raise capital three, four, five eight, 10 times faster than we were doing it before. And we were basically doing about the standard. So that's where it came from, is need to move faster and raise conversion rates and do better uh, raising money, closing deals. When the need was there and the focus is there and the intensity is there and you're willing to put in the cycles and the hours, then you're going to come up with some kind of method, good or bad. So talk to me about frame control, because frame control is not something that a lot of people are really accustomed to. A lot of people will start a conversation and they'll be going straight into building rapport. So I think one of the things that the book very clearly lays out is the ability to see the world in terms of frames, right? When you look out the window of your house, your, your car, your office, right, you see a version of the world. So for example, we're here in Southern California and for a while we had an office, we were on the eighth floor, right on the coast. So you look out one window, right, from my office and you see the ocean. You go to the conference room, you look out the window and you see the freeway. Two totally different experiences. Okay, so what? Well, when you get into an interaction, 
right? People are seeing a deal. They're seeing you. You're seeing your company. You're seeing the ROI, IRR, uh, you know, the, the structure of the deal through a certain window or lens, right? And if you don't control that perspective, that lens, they're going to see whatever comes to mind, whatever is based on their psychology, their emotions, their past experiences, their feeling of the moment, the competition, other deals, or what they had for breakfast. So if you don't create that frame or that window for them to look at you and the deal, they're going to see in all likelihood something very different than what you hope they would see. And so to simplify it, if you think about frames, there's something called a time frame. We're all familiar with that, right? That is a constraint on time. And that's one of the first things that I figured out is we might be spending an hour or two hours going to the meeting or a day flying to the meeting and then two hours in the meeting. If you just look at the raw amount of time. So is there a way to constrain time that makes the deal more likely to happen that requires less time and less energy and lets you reach out to more people? And for sure. So, so the time frame was one of the first elements of frame control that I figured out. And so in my perspective and in my experience, and I've trained oh, easily 80,000 people that pitch anything and sold a million copies. If you go to Silicon Valley, if you go to Wall Street, they pitch on this method, my method, the Orange Class Pitch Anything method, which is the pitch is 20 minutes long. The span of human, why 20 minutes? Why not 18? Why not 25? And what, it's this arbitrary number. The span of human attention is 20 minutes long. If you look at Chris Rock, if you look at uh, Jerry Seinfeld, if you look at Dave Chappelle, if you look at the greatest comedians, right? To them, a set is about 20 minutes. They're going to do an hour long. You know, they, they can't, the greatest actors and comedians on earth can't hold somebody's attention. 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes. People start to snooze. It gets not funny, right? So, so the greatest entertainers, Think in terms of 18 minutes, 20 minutes, TED Talks, right? That kind of thing. You know, what is it that you, on the fly, winging it? How long can you really hold people's attention? So the first thing, the time frame was 20 minutes. That's when you're pitching. Meeting might last a little bit longer, but there ain't no way you can hold somebody's attention professionally on a deal for longer than 20 minutes. And then it turned out that any deal, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got two $30 billion deals that I'm a consultant on, obviously, I'm not the banker uh, on a $30 billion deal. That's uh, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan are the leads on that. But I'm helping a company go public, you know, on NASDAQ. And so the span of human attention that is 20 minutes, but also any deal can be pitched in 20 minutes easily. Like we're pitching, you know, $100 million of capital, six, seven, eight minutes flat. So it doesn't take an hour to explain what it is you have. So time frame, time frame. That was the first gateway or problem that I think I was able to solve. So I imagine that you'd be cutting out a lot of the like techno babble and a lot of the explanations and then really getting to the, the meat of things, what they're going to get on it and, and how the structure is going to work opposed to, you know, going through an analyst and the details about that side of it. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about, you know, sort of what your audience cares about most, uh, in, in, you know, and, and I can put it in context or perspective in terms of what to include 
in the pit. So a lot of my listeners are entrepreneurs. A lot of them are location independent. And a lot of them are traveling the world and building their businesses, kind of bootstrapping it, you could say. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because structuring a deal is so important. And I don't want people to waste time or waste their money or waste these opportunities. Yeah. So, so I think for people in that situation that you've described, you know, I don't want to accuse anybody of anything, but what I see most of the time, especially when it's international, especially when someone is on the lamb or couch surfing or working from, you know, we work or, you know, remotely or, you know, from a rented office and somewhere, you have Switzerland, you know, London, Geneva, Zurich, Milan, Lake Como, wherever you are. I see a lot of time spent on how's the weather there? What are you guys up to? What do you think about the politics? Did you see Putin, Trump? You know, so, so this sort of, uh, without the cultural familiarity, there's a lot of time spe- on, spent on trying to build a safe relationship, safe working environment in order to be able to go into the pitch, right? And so that could take five, 10, I've seen it take as long as 15 minutes. By the time most people have agreed that the weather is good, that it's there's good internet, that the politics are you know interesting to watch, that the time zone you know works for everybody. I've already pitched the entire deal and I'm working on going to a conversion and a close. Right? So to your point, the job of doing a pitch is to strip out the things that are unnecessary and include the things that are necessary in the order that the investor or buyer wants those things, right? And no buyer has on his agenda of things we want to learn in this meeting what the fucking weather is in Milan today, right? So, so I'm not saying that nobody should spend time on you know, World Cup or rapport or weather or anything like that, but I think those things we want to move through very quickly. And when you find yourself doing that, that nobody's going to do a deal because you know about World Cup soccer. They're going to do a deal with you because you, know, you have a beautiful view over Lake Como from your workspace. They're going to do a deal with you because you offer value. They trust you. They believe you can deliver on the things that you say. They want and need what you have. And the numbers that you have match the assumptions that they believe work in today's world. That's why they do a deal with you, right? So. Minimum amount of time trying to get rapport. Rapport works for you, the seller. It does nothing for the buyer. And maybe that's the thing to remember. So the first thing is to sort of get rid of rapport. And so what do you replace it with? My sense of it is you replace it with raising your status to that of a peer with your buyer. Most of the time, most of the time, you know, if we're coming into a deal and going to pitch or ask for money or trying to you know, do business development or get a relationship done, we view the buyer as more important than us. Because after all, they can give us the money, they can give us the contract, they can move us forward. And so we supplicate to them from the low status position and ascribe them the power and the status position. And so something very interesting happens in humans. When you give someone the power, the status, a higher status than you, a higher place in the pecking order, in the dominance hierarchy, in the social order, whatever you want to call it. Something happens psychologically, physiologically and psychologically when you give someone power, right? And that is that they, they narrow their vision, right? What they can focus on slims down. They only see things from the power position in a very surface or cursory level, and they exhibit risk-taking behaviors. So they're more likely to 
uh, end a meeting early or look at their phone or do something else while you're talking, you know, things that would get you in trouble, you know, socially, politically, and from business sense, if you were in a meeting with a superior, they do with impudence when you give them power. Again, search on eBay for Jeeps, look at their phone, text their girlfriend, eat a sandwich, take a phone call, take an interruption, whatever it is. So when you give someone power over you and you give them the high status position, cause a lot of problem for pitching. They can't focus for very long. They, you know, again, risk-taking behaviors. They have a very narrowed plane of vision. They see you in a very cursory level. And so those are all problems you create for yourself when you supplicate, seek rapport, and try and chase someone around to like what it is you have. So that was the second thing we tried to solve for is how do you raise your status to that of a peer, you know, in a meeting with somebody you don't know and you're trying to get money from? So give me some examples of what that might look like to disrupt that status, position yourself higher or at least on level with them. Well, let's see how far along you are in this game. So what are some things you would do? So you, you come to a meeting with me, right? And I say, hey, Mikkel, good to meet you. Thanks for sending the information. I didn't really get a chance to go through it again since you know, we understand you have a great deal. Why don't you start at the beginning? What, what would you like me to know? I would try to find out what things are important to you. It, you can't just leave it so open-ended, I would say. The meetings I go in, they're like, well, I don't know, you have a deal. Um, you know, we'll, we know what we like. Why don't you tell us about what you have? And we'll draw our own conclusion on it and let you know if we're in or not. Yeah, but if, someone, if you're walking into a situation and they're not spending the time to actually learn about things straight off the bat, then you don't want to be supplementing yourself to them. So I would say, just from reading your book, that... You would be telling them, like, listen, I'm not here to waste time and to go through things that you were supposed to actually already learn about or know about. You know, we're here to to discuss A, B, and C. You know, call me when you've had an opportunity to look through this stuff and when you're serious about moving forwards. Yeah, so I think that's a good start, uh, and I think that's in the right di- right direction. So, you know, the reality is when you go to these meetings, somebody else's office, you're pitching them a deal, a lot of times they really haven't prepared that much. They look cursorily at the material and they're really waiting for you. And, you know, the reality is they took time out of their day and, and they're coming to meeting not to be read a brochure, but to meet new, interesting people, to hear about colorful ideas, to learn about some technology or some deal in the world that could help their business. And so they are sort of investing in you with their time. So I think the first thing to do with status is to say, hey, good to meet glad we could find the time on the calendar to get together. I know we've been wanting to meet for a while. appreciate you guys making it happen. I know we took some time out of our busy schedule to make this happen. This time of year, we happen to be incredibly busy. Didn't always used to be that way. A couple years ago, you know, we could take a meeting at any time for any amount of time and you know, fly anywhere because we were very happy to have the business. Maybe by luck, maybe by accident, maybe by hard work. Who knows, but we're just so incredibly fortunate to be busy. And I made about an hour today to spend with you. Got an agenda. Let me tell you what it is we do, how it's different, why I think you should use it, what our value proposition is, how we work. I also need to know a lot more about you guys, right? If, if, if you just said to me, hey, here's a check for a million dollars, let's do it. I'd have to push the check back. I just don't, you know, I don't know enough about you guys to say, let's rush into a deal together. So. Love to tell you the big idea, the what problem we solve, why we think that problem is hard to solve, some of the features of our solution, what our assumptions are, you know, what our return on investment is for people who work with us, some of the other people who love what we do, then of course hear a little bit 
about you with the remaining time in context of what we do. So I think that would be a word-for-word script to sort of start to get control over a meeting. And people will say to me a lot, hey, you know, that feels aggressive or, or, or you know, our clients, you know, like a softer approach. And I think maybe I'm, I work in finance and, you know, we go to the Valley and we go to Wall Street and people are quite tough there. And we do take a tough stance on this stuff. But you can say those same words if you get a transcript of this very nicely. Hey, good to meet you guys. We're, oh my gosh, we're so busy this time of year. I have about an hour today. Got an agenda set. think you guys will like it take you through what we do, you know, the big idea, what's changing in the world today, why we think that change is important and how you can fit in it with us, without us, something. If our circles overlap, you know, at the end of some time together, we'll figure out how to go forward. If not, be super great to add another name to the Rolodex and it will be hail fellow well met. Anybody can say that woman, man, child, you know, space alien swimmer from the lost city of Atlantis. Anybody can say that. So so that is something you can do to start to get status alignment. Well, it's interesting because the first thing that often comes out of people's mouth is, thank you for taking the time to see me. And I think like straight off the bat, you've put yourself in such a low position, but what you've just explained to us, you're not falling into that beta trap at all. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good term. And we go through that in the book, sort of the difference between alpha and beta. Everybody knows what an alpha is, you know, the wolf's but have you ever seen a real wolf? <laughs> I don't reckon I have. Okay. Well, probably over there where you are, you don't have a lot of wolves. Probably right? not. But we, <laughs> we were recently in Pennsylvania for my birthday, and my family took me to a wolf sanctuary. And the reason I bring it up is the wolf is generally referred to as the alpha predator, right? That's the of, of predators. You know, what immediately comes to mind, people know predators, is, is the wolf. These things are... But but when you actually see a real wolf, you see why they're called an alpha predator, right? They form a pack when they're young. They, they'll never join another pack. They don't eat broccoli and grass and wheat and take fiber supplements. Those motherfuckers are kill, kill. And when they wake up, they think kill. And when they take a nap in the afternoon, they think kill. And when they go to sleep, they think kill. That's the ultimate alpha predator. They only eat meat. They eat like 60 pounds of meat at a sitting. It is wild. If you get a chance... To see a, a wolf at one of these preserves, you know, before Trump or whoever uh, kills every animal on Earth, it, it, it's worth doing. Like, these are real alpha. If you want to know what alpha is, go check out a wolf. In fact, I know this isn't a podcast about wolves, but um, I watched a, <laughs> a documentary on them. And it's, it's interesting. They had a baby cub wolf that was raised by humans in a, in a sanctuary. Never been out of sight of a human during its entire life right? To acclimate them to, to humans, right? Even still after a year, net 24 hours a day in the surrounding humans to feed them, you know, bathe them, uh, you know, help them, coax them, give them medicine, everything. They have a good relationship. If the human moves quickly, boom, snap, right? The animal alpha predator comes out immediately and they'll bite that human. So alpha, alpha, and there's also beta, right? And so beta is really what we are. We create the alpha, in the meetings that we go to, in the people that we meet with on phone calls, right? And, we, and the first step, you go, well, how do, I, how do I turn the other guy into a wolf? How do I turn the other guy into an alpha? Even if he started off beta, gamma, delta, whatever, something different, by saying, please, thank you, how are you? Nice to meet you, hope you're having a good day. That immediately puts us in the beta position. Why is that so bad? Again, it's all the things we talked about. It lowers your status. So I'm not saying you have to lord over somebody, you know, or snap them or bite them or be mean to them or anything like that. 
But the beta position, sitting in a conference room, uh, getting handed a five-year-old Sports Illustrated, being told that the meeting you know, will start when John gets off another conference call, you know, if you travel to some office, or more likely you know, today, if you're expats sitting on a conference line where all their people haven't come in, worse, somebody's, the, the lead from their side is dialing in from a car, right? And there's all that car noise and uh, there's not a clear line. And so putting up with all that stuff puts you in the beta positions, very hard to control a deal, get it closed from the beta position. So what are all the things that can go wrong, right? They can come to a call late. They can, so, so there's nothing worse in my mind, sitting on a conference call for seven, eight, nine minutes, right? With your two or three team members. And then they call in and they know you've been sitting there for 10 minutes waiting for them. That puts you in the beta position, right? And it, you know, if that happens, you have to get off that call you know, after five minutes and say, do you guys want to reset? What would you like to do? But you cannot be waiting on that call when they dial in. They will control you for the next 10 minutes, 20 minutes, hour, two hours, six months, nine months, year, two years, as long as the relationship goes on because they know you'll always be waiting for them. Same thing if you allow somebody to call from a car with a bad connection, it just, you know, puts you in a horrible... So, so getting aligned, these are small things, right? There's much bigger things that create alignment, but the, the, these, you know, kill monsters... Well, they're small monsters. Please, thank you. You know, but we move into the bigger things. And so, so for example, a bigger thing would be you go to a meeting, you start a, you're getting ready to go to a presentation, or more likely you're dialing in to a Skype or a join me or a GoToWebinar or whatever the case is, and their decision maker or their leader can't come to the meeting. What do you do? Do you go ahead and just you know present the deal to their you know underlings or the people that are on the call, or do you reschedule? You, for the head of the firm or the decision maker to come on, or do you do something else? Those are things that materially impact a deal happening, right? And ultimately, I think you know what I'm going to say, is that decision makers have to be present there on the call. And if they don't come to the calls agreed, you have to get yourself out of the beta position into the alpha and do whatever it takes to reschedule or give them a few minutes to go find a decision maker. And so those are things that do materially affect the deal and some things, you know, other things that we've learned along the way. Yeah, because if you're trying to rely on someone else to pass along your pitch and pass along your ideas, there is just no possible way that they're ever going to be able to get it right. And you're really putting yourself in a lower position on that. Well, I think, I think that's right. Sometimes I think about it, like think about how hard you worked on a presentation, right? And then, you know, you gave in, you, you went and gave a presentation, you wrote the presentation, you put together the PowerPoint, you know, you know, the product, you're part of the company, you created the financials, you know the financial model, you know, you might have spent 10, 50, 100, 200 hours on this, right? And then you go in and give a presentation, you come out of it and you're like, hey guys, how do I do? Right? And your team would always go, well, you know, I thought this was strong. I thought we could have improved in this area. Uh, overall, you know, I give us a B plus, right? And, and so that's very typical. Well, that's you, you're part of the company. You spent 100 hours putting that presentation together. That's all you know and talk about and you sort of got a B. <laughs> how is somebody, who only saw that presentation for a short period of time, interpreting it through you, going to go give it to their decision makers on your behalf, right? If you got a B, they're going to get a D minus F, you know, worse than F if there is such a thing. So, yeah, I think, I think that's exactly the way to think about it, that you never give these presentations to somebody who then has to go give it to somebody else. And so that, to me, there's a term around that. And, you know, it's helpful if you name these things. The name is narrative transport. I try to think about does this presentation that I'm giving have narrative transport? Can somebody listen to it 
pick it up, turn it around and go give it to somebody else in fairly good order. So that's another thing that was very helpful to raising money is, is does the presentation we have fit in an existing schema that Sony, who's only heard it once, can turn around and also give it to other people? And so, you know, the next thing is these presentations have to be novel. If somebody believes that they've seen this presentation before, they're familiar with it, there's other deals like it, they, they know you know, what the next slides are going to be, or, or it just feels too familiar with them for them. It's hard for them to pay attention to it, certainly. And so having a presentation that is novel and keeps someone's attention high and keeps them engaged, I think, is a huge driver of conversion, right? So then the big question is, how do you make something novel, but also keep it in a schema that somebody can remember it and tell somebody else about it. And to me, that's the magic sweet spot is when you've got a presentation that's going to work and convert people. When it's novel enough to pay attention to, but familiar enough that somebody can recognize its merit, its value, and go pitch it to other people internally. So what would something like that look like? Oh, probably just one of every 254 presentations I've made in the last couple of years. Um, so, so I think the schema, I think it's pretty basic, right? One is things are changing dramatically. People who get the change right will um, survive in the new world order, be able to succeed. And people who mess up the change, don't adapt to it, are going to suffer. That's the sort of the winter is coming, right? And so then following that, look, there's a real problem that people, you know, you, the buyer, you, the investor, the, the users of our company, the users of our service, whatever it is, there's a problem that they face and it's a real pain. And it's, you know, the problem is robust and it's determined and it, it, it hasn't been easy to solve, right? But we spend our money, our time, our energy, our inventiveness, and we solve this problem better than anybody else, right? It turned out just to be a difficult problem, very hard to solve, but we solved the problem. And here's our solution. Look, other people do it. We're going to be a $20 million firm. It's a $500 million market, right? So there's other people that obviously provide value in our market. But as things continue to change, the other solutions are going to fade from glory. And ours is going to rise to prominence as it is. We're growing 100% year over year. If you continue to track this growth and the market grows a little bit, you know, we'll be 5, 10, 15% of the market in two to three years because of this dramatic change that we're in. So then the problem, you know, the solution, other people have a solution, but we think we've solved it the best to accommodate for the way things are changing. So, so that's the schema, right? Here's our assumptions. Here's our pro forma. You roll all of our assumptions into some kind of basic spreadsheet. These are the results you get. We're average people working at an average pace. We've got a normal org chart, but we have a very good solution. We're working with intensity. We're making good use of our capital. This is the use of funds, you know, if we're looking for an investment, this is the use of funds. This is how we're going to use the capital. This is how other firms have used this kind of capital, the results they got. We're going to use the capital in a very similar way. This is our team. This is our plan. These are next steps. So that's the schema, right? I don't think many people would argue with that order of things. But the novelty is how you drive the narrative through each of those things. What's the story? And, and so largely, novelty is when you make that kind of presentation about people, right? Give an example. I saw a pitch on 
medical device the other day, 45 minute presentation, never mentioned a single person, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, once I helped that company turn their presentation around to in, uh, raising the stakes around human lives, making those stakes economic, and having a narrative through line of the business that covers each of those points in the schema that I gave, that's a great presentation. At least I think so. Other people might argue with me. We're just gonna pause for a second on the interview because I wanna tell you about this special resource that I have for you. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It is a PDF downloadable report and you're gonna find it at expatmoneyshow.com. Okay, why do I wanna tell you about this? Well, it is an amazing resource for anyone out there who is looking to go offshore to become an expat, expat hopefuls. If you're looking at immigration or plan B residencies or any of these types of things that we talk about on the show, this really condenses the information into really easy to understand. And then from there, it gives you all the resources, links to the additional resources or who you can work with, the professionals involved in this. So I've had some amazing feedback on this and I wanna give it to you free, 100% free. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com and at the very top of the page, you will see the special report. You can sign up. There's no credit card needed. There's no nothing like that. I just want you to have this resource because I think it's really important and I think it's gonna really serve you well. So enjoy, go to expatmoneyshow.com, download your free special report and let's jump back into today's interview. I'm just listening to you talk and things do make sense, but it, it is so contrarian to the way that a lot of people initially want to pitch or present things or walk into a business meeting. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, why is it contrarian? Because we use our instincts, right? And so maybe you would find, you know, so I, in the book and certainly here, there's, I have three major takeaways. If you want to simplify all of this, turn this into something potentially actionable. People want what they can't have. People chase that which moves away from them, and people only value that which they pay for. And so those three points are counterintuitive, right? Uh, if you go through them and if you look at your business, people want what they can't have, people chase that which moves away from them, and people only value that which they pay for. I bet the way that most people listening pitch are in disaccord with those rules, right? So take them one by one. People want what they can't have. So generally, when we pitch, we're there to offer them something, not to say you can't have what we offer. But the moment you say, so what do you think? Is this something you'd be interested in? Do you have any questions? The buyer now knows that he can have it. And he will immediately, based on human psychology, based on human evolution, say, aha, I have an option. Now I'm going to hit the brakes and park. So when you say, what do you think? Is this something you'd be interested in? Do you have any questions? They go, thank you very much for presenting. This looks really interesting. We're very excited about this. Please send us the information. It will get back to you after we've looked through it, right? And so that's what professional buyers will do or inexperienced buyers will do. And that's what you walk yourself into. But if you have tattooed on your arm, as I am suggesting, or written on a piece of paper, or an index card, or somehow remembered this conversation, people want what they can't have. At no point, should they be completely allowed to decide if they are the buyer or not? And there's lots and lots of tools. I don't think we have time here to get into it, right? But I will say 
you know, at the end of my presentation. So that's what we have, right? But again, we don't know enough about you in order to say we would take you on as a client. And I definitely need to know more because there's some things we won't do it for you, right? We won't do it. You know, you can't buy it from us, but we'll do it with you. And I haven't determined yet if we can work together. Once I do, then we can talk about what a deal might look like. So that brings up your earlier point, as if even if you passed me a million dollar check right now, I couldn't take it. I would have to learn more about you before we ever came to an agreement. How could I? How could I? I mean, every deal, you know, if you've done more than a couple deals in your life, you know there's such a thing as a bad customer and a bad investor. Meet somebody, five minutes later, take a million dollars from them. Are you crazy? You don't know who that guy is. You know, you haven't done due diligence. You don't know their behavior when things go wrong. You don't know, um, you know, if they're, uh, in terms of being a customer, if they'll allow you to make a margin. Most customers clearly communicate in the meetings I go to. They don't want us to make a margin. And then I just call it out and you say, it seems like you don't want us to make a margin, which makes no sense to me. And I can tell you any deal that I'm involved in, out of hundreds of them, always meet a point of conflict. I didn't do something that you wanted me to do. You didn't deliver something that I needed to complete my work. And now something has gone wrong and we're mad at each other, right? And that's generally where deals fall apart. Uh, consulting contracts get you know, heated, checks stop being written and confusion reigns the day. So I got to believe that you're someone because we're going to be in that situation. I care Mother Teresa how nice you are, right? We're going to be in that situation if we're working together four months, six months. Somebody's going to do something wrong. Somebody's mad at each other. How do you behave? How do I behave? We've got to figure that out before we run off and do a million dollars of work together. Let's sort that through. Okay, so you can't just take money. So the second thing is people want what they can. People chase that which moves away from them. If you are chasing someone, they're going to move away from you, right? Which is going to continue to want to chase them more. If you are moving away, which seems very difficult to do when you want someone to give you money, when you want to close a deal, right? When it's set up correctly, they will chase you once they want what you have. So the 20-minute pitch is about creating wanting. Once they want it, then you're going to in a good position. Lastly, people only value that which they pay for. If they're getting it for free, if you're providing advice, if you're giving, you know, I understand in software you have to give a demo, right? But uh, if you're giving away services as a trial, if you're showing people how you would solve their problem, if you are giving them things and they're getting it for free, they don't value it. So in fact, the more you, t- you know, so, so in, the, in the olden days, they would say, the more you tell, the more you sell, right? Um, in today's world, if you sell a service, describe your service, describe the value, describe the price, what you do, who you've done it for, but don't start to show that service or give it or start to implement. The more you give them, the less likely it is that they will close. People only value that which they pay for. So, I mean, tying this back to the point you made, yeah, we tend to do things that are counterintuitive because we sell the way we hunt. We hunted, you know, 50,000 years ago. That's our program. Chase something, surround it, encroach on it, and kill it. And that's the model we use for selling. But the problem is when you encroach on prey, right, and you try and close it, obviously you're not trying to kill, but you are trying to close and get the money. We even talk about those terms like, hey, did you kill it? You know, how was the meeting? Did you kill it? Yeah, I killed it. We still talk in those terms, right? Uh, That's because the intuition is to hunt, but buyers... In today's world, you know, it's much more abstract. We're not hunting. And when they do feel hunted, and they do feel chased, they run away, move away, want to get away from you. 
So we have to convert it because it, the model doesn't work, right? It, and, you know, no, no zebra ever on earth chased a lion, right? Well, I mean, you know, maybe that's not true, but, you know, but only in self-defense, right? But zebras don't wake up one day and go, hey, let's chase some fucking lions around. So the way we sell is intuition coded in our DNA because it feels like we're chasing and hunting and trying to close. But we have to be counterintuitive and get somebody to chase us, want what we have, and try and get it. People want what they can have, people move, chase that which moves away from them, and people only value that which they pay for. Those are the counterintuitive rules that actually now, uh, you give the pitch in 20 minutes, you know, you see it's all sort of starting to come together. Give the pitch in 20 minutes, get people to want what it is you have, organize your information in a certain way, raise your status, don't supplicate, give information in a certain order and the amount of detail that's necessary for that buyer to want what it is you have, and at the moment, that it's time to close. You don't offer it to them, tell them they can have it. You take it away from them and say that, you know, there, there's lots of ways to take away, but an easy one is say, I don't know enough about you. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself that would make us want to work with you? And then once the buyer starts to chase you a little bit, you continue to move away. And then eventually you let them satisfactorily buy what it is you have. So that's the system. I love it. That's brilliant. I think I just read you the book. No, you did, but I love it. It's brilliant. <laughs> What I want to hear from you is some of the stories, because your stories, some of them are, are really hilarious, and they really exemplify a lot of these points. So I remember reading one time about showing up in Moscow with a Russian billionaire, and one oh minute God, he speaks English, horrible. and the next minute oh he needs to use his translator. Walk me that through that a little bad. bit. I will, but I may have a medical flashback, you know, like a Vietnam flashback, <laughs> and just start to have an epileptic fit and hit the pavement and have to be rushed off the hospital. And that'll be on you. I'm sending you that bill. If that <laughs> yeah, so we had a, a deal with a quasi-oligarch or full oligarch. can't use his name because obviously I'll be poisoned like nine minutes afterwards. Um, and we were staying at the Hotel Ukraina. It's an incredible hotel. Took a crazy ride with an armed security guard to an office building in Moscow. Went up the office building went to the top four through security elevator after security elevator, you know, went through inner sanctum after inner sanctum, finally met with this big boss Russian guy who's investing in our deal. And uh, we, we had talked to them many times, paper had gone back and forth. This was the big meeting, really doing the final pitch. And all of a sudden, he doesn't speak English. And I, like, and, and I don't know, this might be good for your audience, but for me, like when other people don't speak English or only have poor English, I start to like weirdly put English in, in the accent of their country. <laughs> you do that like, hey, so where the bathroom at? Do you know when we have a lunch? Right? If I'm in Italy, I don't speak Italian, right? Or um, so, so do you do that, by the way? I, I I don't think I am guilty of that one, but that was a okay. phenomenal Italian accent. Let me just go on record for saying that, Aaron. Yeah, well, I was just in Florence <laughs> for a week, so, yeah. And, and so, you know, if it's a Jap oh, so Japanese, if you've ever, and, and by the way, you say you haven't done that, but I bet if I bring some Japanese uh, businessmen over there, you're going to say, oh, oh, thank you, thank you. Yes, good to meet you, right? Because you, you try and do what you can to make it easier for them to understand. It's horrible. Right. And so now I'm doing a horrible Russian accent with English as if that's going to make it better. He's got his translator there. 
right? And it, if you've tried to talk to somebody about a deal which has fairly specific economic and technical terms, and they just appear like they're not understanding you at all, it is discombobulating you. Like it messes up your whole pitch. You know, no matter how confident you typically are, no matter how well you know the details, like it's just, it's just frustrating and confusing. It's total frame control, right? And they obviously do it to completely mess you up. And so the interpreter is there, and he's he, you know, he'll talk to him in Russian. You know, I'll say, hey, so the biogenetics based on our software, which is able to count, you know, such and such genomes at such and such rate and store data up in the cloud. And, uh, you know, so the interpreter will say, oh, sorry, Mr. Ostrovsky does not understand this cloud. Explain cloud, please. I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, what? I does not know the cloud. The guy's got $5 billion. So now I'm explaining the cloud. Believe me, somebody who has $5 billion <laughs> and invests in telecom knows what the fucking cloud is. <laughs> okay. So now, oh, the cloud is where data goes up, right, and down, and you can put information is not on a hard drive. And it's, you're just, it's only done to screw you up, right? And then so finally, I go through 15 or 20 minutes of this interpretation, going back and forth and back and forth. And the guy turns to me and he says, I can't remember what it is, but asks me in perfect English, right? Why is the ROI based in year five of the deal not reflected in the exit economics? And who would the exit partner be given the specificity of the technology? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> So, so these, yeah, these are great stories. So, so that is where you really learn how you are controlled by other people's frame, right? His frame was, I don't understand the things you're saying. You have to explain it very simply and slowly, which gives him time to think, absorb, understand, and destabilize you giving the pitch. And then he jumps in with the point he wants to drive at the moment that's at his favor. That's real frame control. So once you understand how these things work and the sub-communication, the game that is going on below the surface, then your eyes can really open to what's really going on into a meeting. And I bet if I attended a meeting that you were in, you would come out and I would come out and I would have seen a totally different meeting than the one that you thought happened. And once you start to think in those terms, what is really going on in the meeting in terms of value, in terms of control, in terms of uh, who has the control of the deal, who has the power in the deal, then your eyes start to get open. And I think in Pitch Anything, we really did outline where the power and control is in a deal at all times. I think that's hilarious. It reminds me, earlier this year, I was in China with my wife. My, my wife is from China. And we were shopping for a new house over there, beautiful five-bedroom, six-bedroom house. And we're with uh, the rep, and he's walking us around and showing the place. And he's speaking to my wife in Chinese, and my wife is translating to me. And we spend 40 minutes with this guy, and it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we sit down, and we start looking at the paperwork and the numbers and everything, and can we make this work? And it's all a house on spec, and it's being built. And, and about halfway through it, I just turned to him, and I'm like, do you speak English? And sure as shit... He speaks perfect English, no problem, but did not divulge that information whatsoever. Yeah, awesome. Took that entire time to speak through my wife, so everything was more complicated, and I was trying to understand, and it was just a nightmare. Yeah, that is exactly, and you know, people do that in order to make you work hard, in order to exhaust you, in order to uh, just make your, because the more difficult your life is, the easier their life is in a deal, right? Correct. Think about it. 
if you're pitching perfectly. So, so I see this, right? So my pitches are good. If you walk in and there's seven or eight people in a conference room, right? And I've given a great pitch and the analysts and the buyers and the financial officers like nodding their head and going, oh yeah, and ooing and aahing. I'm like, ooh, you know, in the big reveal, they're like, oh, that's great. And they're cooing to my presentation. The CEO or chairman of the board is like, this is terrible. This meeting is going terrible. Everybody that I rely on to be tough, to ask the questions, to drive value for us to negotiate is eating candy out of the candy bowl, right? And I'll see them rush for it and go, no, 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 right? And try and destabilize the meeting because the meeting is going well for you. There's just a general sense that it's going bad. They, you know, that's why I get frustrated with this win-win, you know, sort of business. Yeah, deals need to be fair, but you will never really have true parity in an economic deal. I mean, these aren't commodities we're transacting, right? And even in commodity trading, there's imparity. That's why people do it for arbitrage. So there isn't really, even in commodity training, where the prices are well understood on the buy side and the sell side, there is still imbalance, right? And arbitrage. So there never really is win-win. Yeah, there's a fair deal, there's value, there's good relationship, but one person gets more, the other person gets less in a deal. That's called margin. And your job is to preserve margin for yourself. And in order to do that, you need some sense of control over a deal. Yes, do fair deals, right? I just, maybe I'll finish up with this, right? Early in my career, my partner would buy these assets and tell me to go raise the money. I'd come back and I'd go, I'd go let's just call him John because he doesn't like his real name used. But I'd say, John, um, you know, I can raise, so let's say we had to raise $5 million. I go, I can raise $6 million, right? And we can lower the yield that we're giving to the investors and we can take in more money and keep another million and a half for ourselves. A million and a half was a lot to me in those days, right? It's still a lot to me today. <laughs> but it, it, it was a lot to me and it still is a lot to me. But, you know, another million and a half for a 30-year-old kid was, was good. And he would say, listen, it's a fair deal. Let's not get greedy. Let's leave some on the table for everybody. Let's just go forward with it the way it is. So being in control, having power, understanding the power dynamics and getting the deal done doesn't mean putting someone at a disadvantage. You still do that to drive a fair deal, right? But what it does do is it preserves time, it gives clarity, and it lets you focus on those people who are really going to close with you. That makes sense. Oren, I wanted to ask you about a $3,500 sandwich. Oh, gosh. How about this? <laughs> I am looking at the clock. That is a 15-minute story. Can we agree to do another one when my new book comes out? And I will start off with the $3,500 sandwich. All right. We can do that. Tell me a little bit about your book before I let you go. Yeah. So the new book is tentatively called The User's Guide to Power. It was called The First 60 Seconds. Maybe it will be called How to Persuade Anyone of Anything and influence and stuff. Still working on a title. I like but the first title very much. It almost has a Robert Greene feel to it, yeah. but with the Oren Klaff spin on it. The user's guide to power. I like that. I like that. That's good. Thank you for that feedback. So, and, and so the new book is a continuation of these ideas, right? We cover plain, something called plain vanilla, squirrel theory, pre-wired ideas, right? So in some sense, like what is some of the wiring in somebody's, the narrative that is already inside their head that you can hijack and use to shorten the amount of time that it takes you to explain what it is you have, right? 
rather than coming in saying we have a SaaS software where that has an accounting plugin to the IRS database that uses AI and big data and explaining all that. How can we hijack one of the pre-existing historical narratives that's already in somebody's DNA based on 150,000 years of human evolution to tell our idea instead of using so much work with words and concepts? Uh, so, so those are some of the things that the new book is about. Sounds super interesting. I can't wait to get a copy of it myself. Well, cool. You'll get a copy, an advanced copy. We'll spend some more time together. By that time, you know, you'll have 100,000 downloads every day or week or second or whatever it is um, <laughs> because you're doing the Lord's work of, you know, getting information to the people. And I, I love the concept, you know, expat. Nice one. Thank you so much for your time, Oren. Oh, did I just fall into a beta trap there? Fuck. No, that's okay. I mean, <laughs> spend an hour together and we can say please and thank you. I All appreciate right. it. No, that's good. So much value there. I really did enjoy our conversation today. If my listeners, they want to reach out to you, if they want to get a copy of the book, where can we send them? Yeah, I mean, the number one thing I would do is go to Amazon or Audible and get the audio book. I mean, of, seriously, I mean, the, the feedback that I get, I'm like, I listened to it five times. I mean, the audio book is good. I read it myself and people like that, but pitch anything or the audible pitch anything is a great place to start. If you don't have $12, here's what you do. Hang up right now. I don't want to talk to you. No, <laughs> go away. Um, Just go away. You don't have $12. <laughs> uh, go, to, go to pitchanything.com and you get a lot of free stuff uh, there anyway. Nice one. Thanks a lot. I will talk to you soon and we'll set something up for next year when the new book comes out. Yeah. Thank you, Mikhail. I appreciate it. Hey everyone, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language. And I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend, Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences. And he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to 
capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.